0: I invite you to open your Bibles in the book of Ruth, chapter (coughs) 4. Is the mic on? Good. Ruth, chapter 4. We will read the whole chapter, although we will take three or four sermons studying it. But I always prefer to read bigger chunks so that we have in mind... uh, a bigger context. Book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Now that we have our copy of the Word of God open before us, let's go to Him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Your Word is open before our eyes. It is yours, but it was given to us so that we might learn, so that we might be comforted, so that we might be corrected, so that we might grow in holiness. And that's our great desire, Father. We want to know you more and better, not just to be puffed up in our intellectual knowledge, but so that we might love you also more and better, so that we might be more like your Son. But, Father, you know that there is still much sin in our hearts you know that the evil one will be during this time trying to distract us, trying to tempt us in a way that we might not understand it or apply it. And, oh Father, we are weak, and the evil one is stronger than us. But You are not. And that's why we come before you and we ask that you might be with us in this hour. That the Holy Spirit might be with us in this hour. Help us, Father. Help us to understand your word and to apply it. Help us to deny and put off our own selfishness. Help us so that we might be like your Son it might be ready to serve, not out of our convenience, but because it is pleasing to you. Help us in this hour, Father. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Ruth 1, chapter 4. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, have I bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his in- inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son had been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Ezron, Ezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You see, Boaz had made a promise. Do you remember that? See verse 13 on chapter 3. Once he met with Ruth, once they had that encounter and once Ruth asked Boaz to be the Redeemer, this is what he said, remain tonight and in the morning. If he, referring to the other close relative who was the first in line to be the Redeemer, so referring to him, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if He will not redeem you, if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And the, the chapter ends in great expectation with the words of Naomi, which is always amazing to see and see that the narrator chooses exactly Naomi to be excited. Because as you know, Naomi was not properly, since the beginning, a great example of excitement. And so we have the words in verse 18 of chapter 3. She replied to Ruth once she heard the report. She says, wait, my daughter. She is excited. She trusts Boaz. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And it was so. That's what we read in chapter 4. On the next day, Boaz was fulfilling his promise. He went to the gate of the city, which was the place where business was made in ancient Israel. Remember, at that time, the logistics were much more limited than today. So business was done mainly on trust and witnesses. So you have, you go to the gate where business. Is done, you call the person whom you are doing business with and you call witnesses because most of the times, well, there was no paper and uh, stone is expensive and heavy. And so, since Boaz needs to discuss such an important matter with this man who was the closest relative to Naomi, he goes to the city gate and once the matter is settled, you know what the the other man does. He takes his sandal and he gives it to Boaz because it was the way, just see the sandal as the document of agreement. It is settled. I agree with with you. We are settled on this business. And of course, he makes sure that the men present are also witnesses of what happened. Why? Because, of course, it will have consequences for the future if someone puts at stake what had been done or agreed. But now, and this, is, this will be the main focus today, there is a striking detail in this passage. I don't know if you uh, recognized it. In the book of Ruth, you see, many people, and it is common in the biblical text, many people are named Even people, realize this, even people that appear to have no real importance for the development of the story, they are named. Apart from Naomi and Ruth, we know the names of Elimelech, of Malon, of Kilion, of um, even Orpah. There are several reasons for this fact, but probably the most significant is that names are important. And they are not important as they are for us today. Names are very important in the biblical context. As we have seen before, in ancient times, names are not just ways to referring or to recognize someone. They actually identify the person by pointing out an aspect of the person's identity. Let me give you two examples, one from the book of Ruth and another one from contemporary life. Do you remember when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem and the women were calling Naomi? Do you remember what Naomi said to those women? See chapter 1 verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, do you remember what Naomi means? It means pleasant. Do you remember what Mara means? It means bitter. You see, people were calling, look, it's Naomi. And Naomi refuses that name. It doesn't fit her condition, at least as she sees it. She is bitter, and she believes that God has dealt bitterly with her. So she says, stop calling me that because I am not that. You see, names identify the person. It says something about the person. And so Mare is saying, my situation, I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm bitter. So call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Let me give you another example, a contemporary now, uh, one now. And I will use this example as an excuse to bring to mind someone dear to our church. Brother Rusty. You know that uh, our brother has wrestled with a feeble health since he was an infant. Actually, uh, in men's eyes or what we could or what people could foresee, he was not even expected to be alive today. He is alive because of God's providence, of God's will. They didn't expect that. And his house was so frail that since he can remember himself, people call him Rusty. And probably many of you still think or uh, think about him, about Rusty, Mr. Rusty, or Brother Rusty, right? And you already heard me uh, tell this story once. But it came a time when he needed to go to elementary school. And at elementary school, he was asked for his name. And he said, Rusty. And lovingly, His teacher had to say, I think you need to go home and ask your mummy what your real name is. (laughs) And his real name is actually Clement, Clement Bolin. But respectfully, we still call him Rusty. Why? It actually, people start to call him that because it was actually a reflection, a part of one of his characteristics. He was feeble. His health was not good. He was always with problems. And still today, he is alive because God uses the means of medicine to keep him alive. And so this is just to say that names are important. Names actually refer to people. Never forget this. Because every time we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, we don't believe and, and this is something that in some evangelical circles is common. The name itself, and, and when I say the name itself, the words that or the letters that compose the word of a name don't have power in themselves. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are saying that we are praying through the person of Jesus, or in the name of our Lord Jesus. Do you realize that? It's referring to the person. So, it is striking that when we come to chapter 4, do you realize that the closest relative of Naomi is not named. He is referred many times, for example, as Redeemer, but he is not named. Note that it is... He is far more important for the development of the story than, let's say, say Malon or Kilion. But they are named, and he is not named. He is crucial for the development of this story. And remember that the narrator uses selection in order to tell a story. This says nothing about the knowledge of the narrator about his name. He might have known his name. People surely knew his name. Boaz clearly appears to know him, but his name does not appear. So the absence of important information in a narrative such as a name is in itself very significant. So note this. In the first place, there is irony which we have already seen many times in the book of Ruth. Note this, the one who is called Redeemer several times is actually the one who rejects his responsibility as a Redeemer. He is supposed to be Naomi's Redeemer. It was his responsibility to fulfill his duty, but he is far from being what he was supposed to be. He is called Redeemer. But if it was for him, Naomi and Ruth would be doomed to a bleak faith. Do you recognize that? And it is important to us because many times we act just like this man. Because as God's children, as God's people, we have a great call. The call that was given to Abram to be a blessing. We have a great privilege to act as God's ambassadors to bring redemption to those near and those who are far off. But how many times you and I fail in our responsibility just because we're passive or idle? How many times we have kept blessing from others just because it was not fitting to us? How many times we didn't bless someone else because it would require some sacrifice on our part? How many times others were in need, but we were just too comfortable? How many times we didn't help someone? We didn't help the poor because of our own self-righteousness. How many times have we had the opportunity to share the gospel, but we let our inhibition or simply try to avoid some social awkwardness? Or even how many times we failed to extend grace just because we were too distracted to even notice another person's need. This is important to us. This man who has no name had a responsibility, but he failed to fulfill it. You see, according to the law, he was both responsible, it was a duty. He was both responsible to redeem the land that belonged to Elimelech and to Mary Ruth. First, he had the responsibility to redeem the land. And remember how important the land was in God's plans. It was given, as we saw in the book of Joshua, not only to Israel, but to each tribe and to each family. To the point that for us it can be boring to read all those chapters. But the point is... God gave in perpetuity to each family it was assigned a piece of land and that was to be kept. And one of the ways was that if someone would lose their land the closest relative would buy it back so that the people and the family would always have that property because it was A God-given property. You you see, it was not mainly because it belonged to them. It was because it was God's will that it should be theirs. And we read this, for example, in Leviticus 25, 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer or relative shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. And it is to this law that Boaz refers on verses 3 and 4. See what he says. He doesn't quote it, but it is this law that is underneath his proposal. He said to the Redeemer, verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. With what it seems a great deal, Naomi's closest relative answers quickly, doesn't he? He said, I will. Of course, great deal. He sees the possibility of increasing his possessions, of increasing his property, because more land means more crops, means more wealth. This man is smart, isn't he? Of course, this is a good deal. Who would pass a deal like this one? However, Boaz adds the second part of his duty. See verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And this, in this, Boaz is referring to another law found in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, which says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, The wife of the dead man shall not marry outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And again, I said this before, but before you get or be horrified with this practice, see the meaning of it. Verse 6, And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, with what purpose? That his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And of course, once the other man, the closest relative, hears the second part of his responsibility, just as quickly as he gave a positive answer, he becomes immediately dismissive. See verse 6, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Question, what made him change his mind? He has no shame in admitting the reason, is he? See verse 6, lest I impair my own inheritance. You see, this man dealt with the law as we are many times tempted to. He was a selfish man who saw the law in a selfish way. You see, we have this terrible ability to disfigure things, to pervert even the good things. God gave the law to Moses and to the Israelites for their own good and for the glory of God. The law was given to a chosen people so that all the nations of the earth might be blessed. That was the purpose of the law. The law was given to the people of Israel so that the people might resemble God in His holiness. So that all nations of the earth might know Yahweh. And this is repeated many times in Leviticus. Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. This was the purpose of the law, holiness. The law was given so that they might reflect their identity as God's people. Their call is to be a blessing to all nations and to resemble God. And in this way, reversing the original sin. You see, the law was not so much about the people as it was first and foremost about God. Because it was a reflection of God's own holiness. However, just as many times we are tempted to, Naomi's closest relative saw the law as a means to his own gain. You see, he perverted the law. He evaluated things on the basis of his own plans. You see, his initial positive response or his excitement on the first place had nothing to do with his desire to obey the law. Had nothing to do with the sake of Elimelech's family. Had nothing to do with his love for God. He didn't care that the laws of redemption of property and the leveret marriage as it was called had a greater good in mind. He didn't care that God had given those laws in order to preserve a people and to preserve an inheritance because he only thought of himself. You see, the law was given as a means of blessing for God's people as a whole. But this man couldn't care less about God, his law, or his fellow man. He cared about himself. He cared about his name. Nothing more. Nothing else. And this is where the irony plays in the hardest way, isn't it? The man who cared most about his name is the man who lost it forever. The man who cared more about his name is the one in the book that we don't know even his name. Do you realize this irony? He was so concerned with his name. He was so concerned with this inheritance But he ended up lost, his name vanished, his name was wiped out of the memory of the living. We don't know who he was. We just know that for the sake of not in his own words, impairing his own inheritance, he lost the greatest and more important inheritance. This redeemer with the goal of making a name for himself lost his own name. In the words of the Lord Jesus, in order to gain his life, he lost it. So concerned with his own life, his property, his things, his plans, that he didn't realize that he was losing it all by refusing God and his law. You see, he lost the privilege given to Boaz a man that because he was willing to sacrifice his own inheritance for the sake of others had been given a name that endures to this day. And even today, we are mentioning the name of Boaz and of the other name or man we don't even know. You see, he was ready to lose what was his for the sake of others, but he ended up receiving a reward he could have never dreamed of. Boaz could have never imagined that in acting as a redeemer for Naomi, he would be forever reminded and included in the most important of genealogies, the genealogy that led to the birth of the Lord Jesus. But note, because this is very important, as we think about redemption in this act of redeeming, of buying back, we must never forget its meaning. Because redemption means to buy back. And if you buy back something, you must pay the price. People tend to approach the book of Ruth with this naive, cozy feeling. Just as someone seeing a romance movie, we might look to Boaz and think that, oh, he was being so nice, or that he loved her so much. But let us not import our contemporary notions of being in love to this text. On this regard, I must ask, do you remember what the Redeemer said again? What was the reason he gave not to redeem the land in Ruth? See verse 6 again. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself. Why? Lest I impair my own inheritance. My question is, was this true? If he would buy... If he would act as a, as a redeemer, would he have to sacrifice part of what was his? In other words, by redeeming the land that belonged to Elimelech and by redeeming Ruth, would he be impairing his own inheritance, as he said? The answer is yes, in a very objective and material way. Yes. The laws of redemption in leveret marriage imply that someone would make a sacrifice for another person's sake. The laws of redemption in leveret marriage had a greater good in mind so that the people of God would be preserved. It was not about an individual, but a people. Ultimately, these laws were given so to preserve a people in the seed of the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these laws were given as a means to save the world. So let me tell you, what Boaz did is no reason to have some cozy, fuzzy, teenage type of feelings. What Boaz did... He's supposed to make us leap of joy, of amazement, of admiration, and to make us ponder and imitate. Because by redeeming the land that belonged to Elimelech, by marrying Ruth, Boaz was using his own resources for a property that would not belong to his family. Do you realize this? He would have to use his own money He would have to use his own resources to make a name for the one that has died, namely Elimelech and Malon. You see, that was the law. He would have to toil to provide and create wealth for another family, to build a name for another man so that that name might not be forgotten. And at the same time, he would have children that would be legally sons of Malon and grandsons of Elimelech and Naomi. You see, biologically, don't forget this. Biologically, Obed, the son of Boaz and Ruth, is not Naomi's grandchild, is it? Why is Naomi so happy? Because by the law, it is her grandchild. You see, Ruth is not her daughter. But according to the law, Obed is Naomi's grandchild because Boaz acted in the place of Malon. See verse 10. Also Ruth, this is Boaz saying, Also also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, It is referred here on purpose. I have bought to be my wife. And what is the goal of that marriage? To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He was doing that in order to perpetuate the name of Malon, not of himself. He was sacrificing his own resources He was giving Himself to another woman in order to make a name for another man. Do you understand? The Lord inverts human logic and makes use of this great irony. The man who was willing to use his life, his money, his effort for the sake of another man's name. The man who was willing to see his name forgotten for the sake of another sees his name elevated to a position he could never have dreamed of. Do you understand? Do you understand that of Malon, we barely know anything apart from his name? That of this so-called Redeemer, we don't even know the name. But of Boaz, the one who was willing to sacrifice what was his, his name is known in all the world. And he has been reminded by people of all nations and his name is kept throughout the ages. What an irony. Never forget that true service requires sacrifice. Unfortunately, many times we use our resources in a very selfish way. Many times we evaluate service on the basis of convenience. If it is convenient to me, then I'll do it. You see, this was Naomi's closest relative mindset. I will not marry Ruth because it is not convenient to me. But because he saw service to others as an inconvenience, his name was just forgotten. But in verse 9, we see again the purpose of Boaz's redemption. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place, so that the name of the dead may not be cut off from the people of God. And with the purpose of keeping another man's name alive, Boaz's name is still reminded today. So I must ask you, will your name last or will your name be reminded? when your life on earth comes to an end, what will you have achieved? Do you remember when we spoke about rest? That all people in one way or another, they do seek rest. They seek fulfillment in this life. That all people want to feel that their lives were worth something. But that we have concluded that the question is not if you want to achieve rest... But how are you seeking to achieve it? And the the successfulness of your search will depend on the way that you seek to achieve it. And the same applies it to your own name. All people in one way or another want to make a name for themselves. They want to achieve something. But in the end, the question is not if you try to achieve something with your life. But what did you seek to achieve? In the end, it doesn't matter if you tried. It matters if you were successful. This man who is called Redeemer, he tried to make a name for himself. He said it in his own words. I cannot do that because I'm making a name for myself. I'm building my own inheritance. An inheritance has the meaning or it serves the purpose of perpetuating someone's name. You see, Scripture teaches us that when Christ returns, all people, no exception, the ones alive and the ones that have already died in all ages will be judged. You see, this is what the Apostle John saw in a vision given by God to him. He says in Revelation twenty eleven to 15, Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books, because books is where things are registered, and books were open, as if everyone's life was open. And then another book was open And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We read also in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven that nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So I must ask you, When the time comes for you to be before God, will your name be in the book of life or will it be cut off of God's people? And maybe you are just in the situation that Naomi found herself. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you are without hope. Perhaps you have already came to the point in your life, that you are ready to admit that there is nothing that you can do to change your fate. That you might have come to a dead end and have no hope, that you recognize your sinfulness, you recognize all you did wrong in your life. You might hear the words that I just read from Revelation and conclude that there is no hope for you, that there is no way that your name will be in the book of life because you know your sinfulness. You know that there is no way that you will be able to be accepted by God. You know that once the books are open and once it is revealed what you have done, it will be also your selfishness that will be written there. And you might be afraid that your name will just be like Naomi's closest relative, forgotten. And if this is your case, I want to finish by giving you hope because what you need is what God gave Naomi. You need a Redeemer. You need someone who can do for you what you are not able to achieve for yourself. You see, when Ruth, in verse 14, when she has a child, the women of the city say this, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you, and this refers to Naomi, Who desperately needed redemption. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Let me say this you don't need Boaz. You need someone like him, but you need someone much better than him. You need someone who can redeem you from your sins. You need someone who can redeem you from your guilt. You need Jesus, who is the only one able to save you and make your name be written in the book of life. Because if you think that you will face God and stand, you are wrong. If you die, and if God calls you, And if you stand or when you stand before Him, none of what you've done will be enough. Your sin will be exposed and you will be condemned if your deeds or what you have done is all that you have to offer. That's why you need Jesus. Because He was the one who gave His life, His own life, so that all those who trust their lives fully to Him might be forgiven and have their names written on the book of life. You see, Boaz was just representing, and it was just a small illustration and type of what the Lord Jesus would do perfectly. You see, Naomi was lost. She was with no hope. She thought that her fate was bleak. She had nothing to hope for in this life. That's why she gained hope when she looked to someone else than not her in order to redeem her and give her hope in this world. But you know what? That you need more than than that because you need to deal with your sins and before God and for that you need a redeemer a redeemer like boaz but much better someone that when that day comes that you face God will stand in the middle of God and his judgment to say i paid the price for his guilt i paid the price for her guilt. So the question is, is Jesus your Redeemer? Because that's Jesus what you need. What you need is to repent and to trust your life fully to Him. As we read in Acts 4.12, as Peter was speaking, he said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So repent and believe. And your name will be written in the book of life.